Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, my name is Jacob Yarbrough, and I serve as one of the elders here at uh, Calvary Bible Church. And I'll be reading the scripture reading this morning. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard Bible, 1995. And we're reading from Philippians. It'll be Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And if you have your Bible with you, or, or some method of reading the Bible, uh, please follow along. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. My name is Dwight Waldrop. I'm also uh, privileged to serve as an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. It's been quite a while since I was able to speak, and it's great to be back. I uh, reviewed a couple of things, and uh, it's been a busy year for all of us. But uh, as is God's habit, especially with me through my life of working in the bus ministry and serving in different ministries over the years and teaching and preaching, it, um, a lot of times your message comes from life. It comes from the things that happen to you every day or every day for the days you don't think will ever end. And this message is about the same. That first part of Philippians chapter 4. You know, Philippians is a, a favorite book. It's my wife's favorite book. I've taught it several times. It's also called the book of joy. And you can see that in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Well, now that's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to read. But how do you say that when you're going through something tough? And how do you say that when you're tempted? And how do you say that when you're dealing with things in your life that you've dealt with all your life? Things that, you know, you, you, sometimes you, think, you say, man, I thought I put that away a long time ago, and then it just pops right back up in your head. You know, back in October was one of those times when my wife got sick and was in the hospital for three weeks. And it was a bit of a tough time. Not as tough for me as it was for her, but it was a tough time. It was tough for me watching her go through everything that she went through while she was in the hospital. And we've been, we've been together this year, 40 years we've been married this year. And you don't realize how much you love somebody until you have to watch them go through something. So, as is my habit... And this is God's habit a lot of times, is that you preach things, you teach things, and you model things. And then when you have to go through it, now your feet's to the fire. So I said to myself, all right, I'm going to go to the comfort verses. You know, I'm, I'm struggling, Barb's sick, and, you know, I, I spend all day with her at the hospital. I come home in the evening, I'm all by myself. And after you've lived with somebody for 40 years, it's kind of hard to be by yourself. The house gets a little lonely. So I said, okay, I'll go to the comfort verses. So I went to Matthew chapter 6. 
25 through 34, where he talks about, you know, why are you worried about your life? And why do you eat or drink? Why are you worried about those things? You know, look at the lilies of the field. They grow, and they, but they don't toil, and, 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 and their, their glory is more than Solomon. And God takes care of them. So why do you worry? Oh, you have little faith. Do not worry then what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear for your clothing. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows all those things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's Jesus speaking to me to, to take comfort, you know. And then First Peter 5 and 6, another one. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's my favorite one, by the way. And then Second Corinthians. For we walk in the flesh... And we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing and raise up the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then, of course, the Philippians first, you know, casting all your cares upon him. Be anxious for nothing. By everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Well, you know, I read those verses and it didn't seem to do a whole lot of good. I was still worried. I was still anxious. I still woke up at 2 in the morning and paced the floor and prayed. Some of my charismatic background, I was born, I was saved in a, born again, I was saved in an Assembly of God church in Smyrna, Georgia, way too long ago. All right? And, uh, I would pace and pray through the house, and and yet the comfort didn't come. And I said to myself, well, what's going on? What's happening? And then that part of 2 Corinthians 10, the last part of verse 5, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I thought to myself, am I taking my thoughts captive? How can I be anxious for nothing if I'm not, if I'm thinking about the wrong things, how do I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Maybe I'm not thinking about the right things. Maybe I'm not praying the right way. Maybe I'm not saying the thing. And then Proverbs 23.7, for as he thinks within himself, so is he is. Or you may have heard it this way. I think, therefore, I am. Philosophers like to use that to show that we're sentient beings. I might say it this way. What I think about makes me what I am. Jonathan Edwards put it this way. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. In other words, what you think is what you do. It's crucial, crucial, crucial that we bring our thought life in conformity to Jesus Christ. But that's important. It was important to Jesus. I mean, he said that which proceeds out of the man and is not what defiles a man is from within. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Don't stop there. And foolishness. All these things proceed from within that defile the man, the person. We can certainly see that today, can't we? 
So I thought to myself, man, you know, so it brought me right back to Philippians, since I just read the verses above that about being anxious for nothing in verse 6 and verse 7, you're supposed to have peace. Well, I wasn't getting peace right at the moment, so I kept saying, well, God, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? And he brought to my mind this, garbage in, garbage out. What? If you've ever been in the computer world, and I'm a tech guy, you know, i been working with computers and started as a hobby back in when I was in the military. And when they found out, I was a flight mechanic. I worked on C-130s. I was a flight line guy. And when they found out that computers were my hobby, the Air Force didn't have, This is back in the 80-88 days. For you young people, that's kind of like driving a T-model Ford. Well, no, it would be more like a horse and wagon <laughs> compared to what I got in my pocket these days. And they said, oh, wow, you can do computers, so you can do computers. So I started doing computers. I mean, I'm writing code, doing all that kind of stuff. And what you learn real fast is what you put in the computer is what you get out. Garbage in, garbage out. If you don't put the right stuff in, you're not going to get the right things out. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I need to, maybe, maybe that's, maybe I need to think about thinking. Well, that sounds good, right? The title of my message is what you're thinking. Well, can you think about thinking? Do you hear my Southern come out here? You know, I spent 20 years in the Air Force traveling all over the world, and you lose, I come home and my mother would say, you, you don't, you've lost your accent. And I go back to work and they're like, boy, you sure do talk Southern. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. You know, y'all come back now, huh? Um, but what you thinking? Well, I thought, I thought to myself, I need to, what am I dwelling on? What, 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 what am I focusing on? Because what comes in is what comes out. So if, 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 if I'm worried and fretting and anxious, well then maybe I'm not thinking about the right things. So then I went to, went right back to, now I have taught this book three times and I've been through this chapter before and I have read those verses numerous times. And I know how important our thought life is. I mean, Jesus even said, if you think about, if you're angry and you think about it, doing harm, killing somebody, you just as well, you're guilty of killing. If you lust after a woman in your mind, in your heart, well, then it's just as bad as doing the deed. You see what Jesus was doing. He was saying, look, the outward, just because you look righteous doesn't mean you're righteous. The way you think is important. What did he say about the Pharisees? You're like whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside and full of dead men's bones. You're ugly on the inside. So I went back to Philippians again. I said, okay, maybe I need to focus and control and bring into captivity my thought life because it's running wild. Everything, you know what they say, most of the time everything you worry about never happens. And worry in itself is just saying, I don't trust God. I don't trust Him to make it. Really, what worry is all about is, I'm worried God's not going to do it my way. That's really what it comes down to. Is I'm worried God's not going to do it my way. And I've got to be okay with God's way. So I went through these things again. That's what I like to do this morning, is I like to look at what He tells us to think about. And what's interesting, that word, now, uh, at the end of it, he says, dwell on these things. The King James says, think on these things. It means to meditate on these things. The things that are in previous... It means this is what you should be putting your mind on. 
these things. Now, depending on who you read, some people say there's only six things here. I prefer to think there's eight altogether, taking the last part of it, excellence, um, uh, praiseworthy, dwell on these things. But either way you break it down, these are the things we should think of. Well, that's great. And then when we get to the, after we go through these real quick, I'll talk to you about how some ways you can think on the right things. But the way, what you put in your brain, what you watch, what you listen to, where you go, what you look at, all of that plays a part in your actions. Because in the last part of that verse, real quick, in the last part of verse um, uh, 9, Paul says, the things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things, or do them. So evidently, Paul was thinking this way and acting this way, the way in accordance with the way God wanted. And so he was an example. So it's another proof that what you think is how you act. So God made me examine myself. He made me say, look, you can control your thoughts. By focusing on the correct things, not the incorrect things. You can do it with my help. You can do it. You've got the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, and when you come to trust Him for your, I mean, with your very soul, He gives you a... He, he says, look... I'm going to give you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to enlighten your mind. How do you think some things come to your mind sometimes, godly, when God's, where do you think that comes from? It's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes Holy Spirit needs the right tools to bring to your memory. And that's the tools that you use to think on the right things. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want to go through what these right things are. Now, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. Let me say that to begin with. It's not a uh, Norman Vincent Peale, I think, came up with that a long time ago. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm, thinking, what I'm talking about is righteous thinking leads to righteous living. And it's so important that Jesus made it a point to teach on it when he taught about thinking the right way, God says it's so important that he influenced Paul when he wrote the scripture to put it in here. And he gives us the list of things. And the first one he says in the list is truth. Whatever is true. Oh, boy. In this day and age, is that easy to find out? Well, if you look at this whole list of things, the first comment you can say about him is that really it's Jesus, if you think about it. Because he was true, he was honorable, he was righteous, that word right is righteousness. He was pure, he was lovely, he was of good report, he was excellent, and he was definitely worthy of praise. But truth is the key you got to think on what's true. And sometimes it's not always easy to find the truth. Now, we know this is a reliable source of truth. So if it's in the book, it's true. Because here's the thing. God doesn't hold back. He gives you the good, the bad, and the ugly right here in this book. And he tells you the truth. He tells you the truth about human nature. 
Just look at David, Bathsheba. Just look at all the examples. He's, he, it's unvarnished. It's the truth about human nature. He gives you the truth about his son. He gives you the truth about his love for you. He gives you the truth. So this is a reliable source of truth. But if you're going to think on things that are true, you're going to dwell on those things, sometimes you have to search them out and find them. When you watch the news on TV, you can't always trust what they say as being true. When a pol- You know what the old joke is, right? When is a politician lying? When his mouth is moving? All right? Sometimes they're not always reliable, let's put it that way. Because I'm sure there's honest politicians out there that are sincerely concerned about their constituents, and they really are trying to do what's right for the people they represent. I'm sure there, there are those out there that way. But sometimes you have to, the old word is suss it out, you have to look for it, and the best way to gauge it is from here. It's when you're looking for that truth to think on, it's bump it up against the, the, the ruler, the canon of Scripture. And know that that's truth. And then think about that. But let's contrast that a minute with the world. The world doesn't say that truth is always the best thing. Sometimes we have to lie to you for your own good. A little white lie never hurt anything. They have a thing called situational ethics. That's an old phrase that was used many years ago when I was younger. That, that your ethics changes with the situation you're in at the moment. If you're with a, a certain group of people, you're going to act a certain way to meet that expectation. You'll agree with them and you'll change your ethical stand or your moral stand based on the people you're with. Movies and TV are filled with it. Sometimes you have to look for it. And then you have to think about it. Dwell on the truth. What is true? Well, you know that God is truth. And if you compare what you're trying to find out, well, let me find out if this, this, what this person's saying is true. And then you do a little research and you find out, well, what that person's saying is not necessarily the truth. But you can always dwell on the Word of God and be relied that you're dwelling on truth. Honesty. Whatsoever. He says, finally, brethren, whatever... Is true whatever is honorable. And he's talking about honesty there. Respect. What's worthy of dignity. What's dignified. That's what you should think about. Honesty. Being honest. With God. That's the first place to go. So I'm sitting here trying to pray and figure out why I don't feel a certain way and feelings are deceptive. Then the truth comes out. The truth comes out that feelings are unreliable. Wow. The truth comes out that maybe I'm thinking about the wrong things because I'm being lied to. Maybe I'm thinking about the lies and not the truth. Maybe I'm not thinking, maybe I'm not being honest with myself. Maybe I need to think about being honest because we certainly know that the world's not honest because honesty is not their best policy. Lie, cheat, steal, whatever's good. It's all about you, it's all about your life, it's all about whatever makes you happy. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. And what's the middle letter in sin? I. So we have to be honest with ourselves and think about that honesty. God, 
whatever it is that I'm dealing with, whatever I'm thinking that's not right, I've got to be honest with you and say, it's tough not to think that way. Then whatever's just or right, whatever's honorable, whatever is right or righteous or just, the Greek word can be translated just, thoughts and plans that meet God's standard of righteousness in keeping with truth. Do whatever is right. Think about what's right. What's the right thing to do? What would God want me to do? What should I do? Well, God doesn't want me to think about that thing. God definitely doesn't want me to watch this. And I know from Scripture I shouldn't do that or talk that way or whatever it is because it's just not right. And the world doesn't really care about what's right or what's righteous. The world doesn't care about that at all. And they will steer you in that and make you think about what's not right. And whatever's pure, and that is chaste. Whatever's clean, modest, immaculate, free from contamination, free from blemish. Well, Christ is all of that. But if we're going to think about what's pure, then we have to definitely be careful about what we watch and what we see, garbage in, garbage out. So if I want to think about things that are are morally correct and pure and chaste and clean, then there's a lot of TV and movies I just can't watch. And there's a lot of things I can't think on or think about that are not pure. The fantasy life that goes on in your head. Sometimes you have to put that aside and say, I will not think about that because it's not pure or clear or morally right. And we definitely know that the world doesn't know anything about morality. Sometimes after having to, even watching the news, and some other things, or having to go out and just go, go to Walmart, <laughs> just going to the grocery store. Sometimes you come home going, wow, well, that was a trip. Whew. You know, or walking down the aisles at Walmart going, okay, as a guy. Because we definitely know that the world says, you know, it doesn't matter. Do whatever makes you feel good. Whatever's lovely. Hmm, lovely. I had to think about that one for a minute. Lovely. You know, when I, lo- I say, my wife is lovely. She's beautiful. Well, is that what he's talking about? In a way, the word actually means some things that are acceptable or morally pleasing. Things that encourage morality. Things that encourage you. If you're going to think on things that are lovely, you're thinking on things that encourage you to think properly. <laughs> right? I mean, it sounds kind of weird, right? I'm, I'm thinking on things that encourage me to think correctly. I'm thinking about thinking. You know, in this day and age, and I didn't say this up front. It was in my notes and I skipped over it. But I'll say it real quick. Sometimes we don't leave time to think. We're so busy. That we just don't, we don't find time or leave time just to think. Just to sit and dwell on something. Either we're afraid of what we're going to think, and we're afraid to face it. And I think Scripture says, if you're going to be honest and think about it, you've got to face how you think. About everything. But you need to find that time. We'll talk about it in a minute. I'm going to get there. 
about how to do some of this stuff. Good repute. Things, that means things that, that uh, of a good report. That sound well. Words uttered. This is one, this is an old phrase, but I thought it was kind of good. Uttering words of good omen. Wow. Okay. That's a mouthful. Or how about this? Speaking auspiciously. I had to go to the dictionary. You gotta remember, I'm an old guy. Favorably. It means favorably. Speak favorably. In other words, don't listen to gossip. Don't listen to evil things. If people want to come, hey, did you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so? Did you hear about what they did? Did you hear about where they went? No, and I'm glad I didn't. And thank you very much for making me think about the wrong things. Because sometimes people can plant thoughts. They can come to us with gossip or bad reports or things. And then we get to thinking about it and dwelling on it. And we get angry. And then it all, the process starts. Right? Whatever's excellent or virtuous. The Greek word speaks of moral excellence. Feelings, actions that are morally, virtually correct. And that would be Christ, of course. And that would be the things of God. You can think about the excellency or the virtuousness of God providing His Son to die for us and rise again for us to bring salvation to us so that we can think right. Because Scripture says that we have, our minds are clouded or dark with sin until we come to know Christ as Savior and the light goes on. Bing! Wow! I used to think about those things, and that's not what I... No wonder I was depressed. No wonder I could never get a handle on things. No wonder I was angry all the time. Well, we definitely know that the world doesn't want you to think about anything that's excellent or virtual or morally, or morally correct. And the last one he says there is praise, worthy of praise. The phrase could be restated this way, anything that deserves the thinker's praise, or anything that God deems praiseworthy. Our thoughts should be on praising God. Things that I, I, could, I, I could say to God, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for the life we've had together. I thank you for all of this because you're the great God. I thank you. I look back and I think about what you've done in the past, and you've always come through, you've always provided, you've always taken care of us, not always the way that I thought he should, which is good, because I'm not God and don't want to be, although my sin nature does. And God, you've been great, so what am I worried about? I need to, I need to start bringing my thoughts in the, under control. Because in verse 9, he says, the things he talks, Paul says, the things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. So it's evident that if I think on the things in verse 8, then I'm going to do the right things. Paul says, I do. I'm an example. Let me read you a quote from a theologian. He said this about verse 9. The fact that this comes so closely after verse 8 is significant. Right living results from right thinking. If a person's thought life is pure, then his life will be pure. 
On the other hand, if a person's mind is a fountain of corruption, then you can be sure that the stream that issues from it will be filthy as well. And we should always remember that if a person thinks an evil thought long enough, he will eventually do it. Learn, receive, hear, see, and practice. Practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Sometimes if you're trying to control your thought life, you may know another believer who you see practices these things, and you can go to them and say, how do you do it? (coughs) How do you do that? How do you manage to control that? Either way, if you think it correctly, you'll do it. In other words, you think righteously, you'll live a righteous life. You'll live the life that God wants you to live. Nobody said it'll be easy, though. Because bringing your thought life into control is a tough thing. Because there's a couple of things you have to learn about yourself. This is where thinking about yourself honestly talks about honesty. This is where it comes down to you saying in in your head, you get in your head and you say to yourself, I need to be honest with myself. Because if we lie to anybody, we lie to ourselves. We are absolute masters at lying to ourselves and fooling ourselves. We're absolute masters at it. And I can lie to you and fool you that fast because I'm pretty practiced at it because I have a sin nature. And that's all my sin nature wants to do. But God's nature says, no, I don't want you to be that way. So you have the first thing you have to do, if you want to get your thought life under control, one of the first things, and let me give you five things real quick. I hate to do numbers, but I'll, I'll go through it real fast. If you want to think the right things, the first thing you've got to do is pray and ask God for you, to be honest with you, for you to be honest with yourself, and to bring to light the things that you struggle with in your thought life. Because uh, one I have never thought about <coughs> is envy. Sure, I'm a guy. I'm a man. Lust is a thing. Lust is a thing for all of us, men and women, when it comes to physical things. But sometimes we don't think about lust when it comes to money or when it comes to possessions. You can lust after money and you can lust after possessions. Sex is not the only thing that a person can lust after. Although in our society today, it's plastered everywhere. You can't go any place. You can't drive down the parkway without seeing a sign as big as that balcony that's got some vulgar thing on it but the first thing you've got to do (coughs) excuse me if you want to think the right things is pray and ask god to identify those thoughts be honest with yourself open up yourself stop and think and if you have to write it down just make sure you write it in a place where your spouse is not going to see it (laughs) or nobody else is going to see it if you have to, make a list. Write it. What, what do I struggle with in my thought life? Is it anger, worry, fret, anxiety, lust, fear? What is it? You've got to be honest with yourself. Write it down if you have to. Make the list. And then that will allow you to think about it. You'll bring it to, the, to your mind so that you will, can identify it. You can't combat your thought life. If you don't identify the problem. What do they say when you've got an addiction? The first thing is to to admit you have an addiction. That's the first step in recovery is admitting you've got a problem. 
The first step in controlling your thought life is admitting that you've got problems with your thought life. And what is it? And the second thing to do, once you highlight those things, and once you know them and you've got them out there where you can deal with them, is you eliminate the triggers. You put verse 6 into action. He says, be anxious is nothing. You put verse 6 into action. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. You make your request known to God. God, these are the things that trigger these bad thoughts. If I'm dealing with lust or anger, these are the things that trigger those. Now, God, you've got to help me. So what's the first thing? You eliminate the triggers. Well, the way you do that is to pray and ask God to reveal them to you so that you can stay away from them. So that you can put them aside. Like, for instance, if you're dealing with lustful thoughts, me as a man for other women, and then I need to be sure I don't watch, listen to, or read things that encourage that. Well, that leaves out a lot of movies and TV, don't it? Now, I'm not anti-movie and I'm not anti-TV, right? I like a good movie just like anybody else. But there's a little thing called IMDB for you tech-savvy people out there. You already know it's International Movie Database. It's free online, and it has every movie known to man, I bet, in that thing. And it will tell you the plot of the movie, it will tell you the rating, and it will tell you how much sex, violence, and dirty language is in the movie. And then you can go and look and say, well, guess I'm not going to watch that one. Oh, that, that looks okay. All I'm saying is filter it. So not only do you need to identify the thoughts that bother you, you need to eliminate the triggers. You need to pray and say, God, help me to put these triggers aside. If worry and anxiety and fear are one of the things, like like with me, for me it was worry or anxiety, well, well, I can't get out of the trigger. I mean, you know, Barb's in the hospital. I go there every day. How do I deal with this? Well, then it comes back to another thing. Number three is... List the scriptures that combat the thoughts. Go through scripture and find the verses that combat the thoughts you're dealing with. So I'm right back to Philippians is one of them. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, I got it. Beat me over the head with it. And God's like, yes, I have to because you're like an old mule. I have to keep slapping you to get you to pay attention. What was the old joke I heard a long time ago? Um, God hits you upside the head like a mule, and then you can sing, He touched me. Oh, Lord, He touched me. Yeah, that's a fact. So you have to pray and ask God to identify the thoughts. You have to eliminate the triggers if at all possible. And if, it's, if you're in the middle of, like, like I was talking about, in the middle of a t- trial where you're worried and anxious, well, then you've got to list the Scriptures that combat those thoughts. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Think about that verse for a minute. How do I cast my cares on him? I have to humble myself, realize that God is almighty, and that my reward is coming in the future. And it's not today. It's coming. If I'm going to do that, if I'm going to cast my cares on him, I've got to humble myself and realize that he's the almighty God. And if he can't solve the problem, it ain't going to happen. 
It just ain't going to happen. If God can't solve the problem, then he's not God. But he's not always going to solve that problem the way you want it solved. That's part of humbling yourself. That's part of being a humble person. It's saying to yourself, look, God, I'm worried about this happening. Okay, I realize I'm not thinking of this. I, I shouldn't worry about this. You will take care of it. You will, you will do it the way you want it done. And I'm, I gotta be okay with that. I've gotta be okay with that. That's humbling yourself. So you're gonna ask God to identify the things. You're gonna eliminate the triggers. You're gonna list the scriptures. Now when you list, let me say, the next one is, Meditate and memorize those verses, if at all possible. When early in our married life, my wife had the habit of sticking verses on the mirror in the bathroom. She'd be memorizing a verse. Now, the way she memorized Scripture was take the first letter of each word and write the letter. So, be anxious for nothing would be B-A-F-N. And then she would do that for the whole verse. So I would come up to shave, and here would be this three-by-five card. It's got A, B, N, C, D, E, F, G, H, to it. And I'm like, what? Well, it's the first letter of each word in the verse to spike the memory to try to memorize the verse. There's all different kind of ways to do verse memorization. That's just one. But the thing is, is that if you want if you list those scriptures and you want to control your thought life, you've got to meditate and memorize, meditate and memorize. Because when you meditate and you think about it and you memorize it, you're putting tools in your spiritual toolbox. Because then when you're in the middle of something, that verse is going to pop in your brain. Or that principle from that verse is going to pop in your brain. What you learned about that verse that you meditated on and you thought about it will pop into your brain. It'll pop there. God, will, the Holy Spirit will reach into your toolbox and put those tools right there. So meditate, memorize, think about it. When you face those thoughts, the Holy Spirit will bring them. I mean, it's like to me, it's things. When I was in the middle of starting all of this, those verses popped into my mind. And then that one about bringing every thought captive. And I kept saying, where is that at? I cannot remember what verse that is. I need to go find that. And so then that's where, you know, this is a wonderful thing. The Bible program on my phone. The search function. Back in the old days, it was break out the Strong's Concordance and start looking. Well, maybe. Either way, it works. But that's what you do. And then the last thing. Man, I sprayed the pages. Can't believe that. So we pray and ask God to identify the thoughts. We eliminate the triggers if at all possible. We list the scriptures that combat those thoughts. We meditate and we memorize the verses that combat those thoughts. And the last thing is we pray and we ask God to replace the wrong, wrong thoughts with the right thoughts. God, if I'm thinking the wrong thing, what's the right thing to think of? Well, truth is a good place to start. If you're worrying about this, is that truth? You know, we used the phrase, there back in the, uh, many days ago, some of you will remember this, they used to have a phrase, the devil made me do it. Well, there's some a little bit to that. I think there are, we, it, it says in the, one of the verses I read earlier that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Right? Against principalities, against, we're in a spiritual warfare. And sometimes that spiritual warfare will pop into your mind 
and try to get you to think the wrong things. And because you've studied it, because you've meditated on it, because you've listed it, because you've been honest with yourself and you know what you're thinking, all of a sudden that verse pops up and now the truth is so clear you can say no to that. You can say that is not what I should be thinking about. When you're at Walmart in the middle of summer in Huntsville, Alabama, and some people who aren't dressed totally appropriately, shall we say, fancies themselves down the aisle right in front of you. And the thought pops into your head as a man to think a certain thing. The first thing you say, you can say, thought popping into your head is not sin. It's what you do with it that's sin. And if you've meditated on it, you've listened to verses, you've got that in your mind, the first thing you do is say, nope, can't do that. And then you flee (laughs) however you can. To get away from that thought. Sometimes it's physically removing yourself from that aisle as a guy. Sometimes it's going to Scripture and reading the right verses, whatever it might be. But you pray and you ask God to help you replace the bad thoughts with the good thoughts. The thoughts about truth, honor, rightness, purity, lovely, things of good report, virtuous, and praise. So five ways real quick. Pray and ask God to identify the improper thoughts. Eliminate the triggers. List the scriptures that combat those thoughts. Then meditate and memorize on those scriptures. And then pray and ask God to replace the bad thoughts with the good thoughts. You've got to decide. If you don't learn to control your thoughts, you'll never learn to control your behavior. If you don't learn to control your thoughts, you'll never learn to control your behavior. Because that's where it all starts. So three weeks later, my wife gets out of the hospital. She spends a week in rehab. We go home. We have two of the best physical therapists for home PT that I've ever had. And what do you know? My wife walks with a walker, something she never did before she went to the hospital. My wife's Stronger than she was before she went to the hospital. My wife ends up in the service this morning. She hadn't been to church in I don't know how long. Why was I worrying? Even if God hadn't done that, why was I worrying? Because I didn't trust God. I was honest with myself and said, you know, you just don't trust God to do it the way you want it done. And God has to say, well, Dwight, I don't care how you want it done. I'm going to do it my way. So you might as well shut up, sit down, and get your feet off the seat. Because this is the way it's going to happen. And that's the way I have to think. So today, every time I pray, I say, Lord, help me today to think the right way. Help me to think on the right things. Help me, Lord, to meditate and think on you. Because you are the right thing. You are the only thing. Your son Jesus is every one of those things listed in verse 8. Every one of them. Think on these things. Dwell on them. Meditate on them. Meditate on God. You want to boil it down to a simple thing? You want to act right? Then meditate on God. Meditate on his word. Meditate on his son. Meditate on those things. 
Think about it. When I say meditate and think about it, I mean take time to shut the world out and to shut it up and think about it. A lot of us are so scared to be in our own head. We've got to have noise in the background. Music, movies, TV going all the time. We've got to constantly be doing something. Why is that so? That's because we're afraid to sit and think about ourselves and think about who we are and think about God and how that all relates and how that all works. We're scared to death to do that because, you know, we're afraid of what we're going to find. I'll tell you right now what you're going to find. You're going to find a sinner that needs salvation. You're going to find somebody that's just as depraved as the world, except for God coming into your life. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, then you don't have the foggiest idea. The power that's involved in the name. Yeshua, Messiah. The power in the name. The power to think the right things. The power to implement those five simple steps. The power to think on what's right. That all comes from God. And without Him, you don't have that power. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power. You don't have the light in your mind to shine on that dark place so that you can deal with it in your life. So that God can give you the strength to deal with it in your life. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, I beg you today, think about it. And I don't mean that as a pun. Think about it. Dwell on it. Dwell on the fact that you need a Savior. Scripture's pretty clear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you got to do is cry out to Him, but you have to believe it. Faith is believing that God sent His Son. To live for you, die for you, and rise again for you. So that you could have that light in your mind. So that you could have eternal life. So that you could see. You could see what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and of praise. So that you could see those things. Think about that. There's plenty of us elders around that you know. If you need to talk to someone, take the time. If you're like me, when I came to know Christ the Savior after a message, I went home, got down on my knees beside my bed and prayed God that I don't want to go to hell. I definitely want to go to heaven. I definitely want to spend eternity with you because you're a whole lot smarter than I am. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the time we've had together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for being the great and wonderful God you are. I thank you, Father, for everything. There's nothing that we have apart from you. And I thank you, Father, for giving us the power of your Holy Spirit to think on the right things. And I pray that you'd help us as believers to look into our minds and meditate on you and meditate on the right things so that we can live the right life that glorifies you so that all can see that you are the great God we worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.